In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem. Now, back in Jesus' day, Jerusalem was the capital city. It's where the temple, the very center of religious life, was located. So it would make a lot of sense for a Jewish rabbi like Jesus to say that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. He's a rabbi. Of course he wants to go to Jerusalem. All good religious people in that day wanted to go to Jerusalem. But here's the thing. When Jesus told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, he added a couple of details to his trip itinerary. This is not printed in the gospel reading that we read, but it comes right before in Mark chapter 12. You see, what Jesus says, and all the other times when Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem, what Jesus does is he mentions that he's going to Jerusalem so that he can die. My guess is that no one ever really took Jesus too seriously when he said things like this. The crowds and the disciples who followed him around were clinging to his every word. And when he'd start going off about dying in Jerusalem, I think they'd just tune him out and start to talk about something else. It's kind of like, like that crazy uncle you have, you know the one I'm talking about, who, who's a really nice guy and often has some good things to say, but then every now and then he starts talking to you about how aliens have poisoned our tap water and are using it as a mind control device. It's kind of like that. You just tune crazy Uncle Jerry out for a minute and hope he changes the topic. I think that's what the disciples do with Jesus from time to time. They cling to his every word, but when he starts talking about dying in Jerusalem, they just try and change the subject. In fact, did you notice that's exactly what happens in the gospel passage this morning? The gospel writer Mark tells us that Jesus and the disciples are going to Jerusalem, and so Jesus reminds them what's going to happen once he gets there. I'm going to that city so that I can die, he says which is a pretty serious statement, if you ask me. But then James and John don't respond to Jesus' morbid prediction, no. They ignore that detail and immediately ask Jesus about saving them the best seats. Now before I go putting the disciples down too severely for their foolishness, I should explain one thing to you so that all of this can make a little bit more sense. Jesus was a great rabbi, and he was performing miracles and teaching in a way that no one had ever really seen before. And because of all this, many people in that day started to think that he was the promised Messiah. In Judaism at that time, the Messiah was this divine figure who the prophets had spoken about and who had predicted that the Messiah would come and be a great military leader. The Messiah would overthrow the oppressors of the day and gather all of Israel back together. He would be the king of Israel and rule for ages to come. And this, and this is the really important part, the Messiah would do all of this in the city of Jerusalem. So you've got these disciples who have been following Jesus around for years and they've seen him do incredible things and they also have been taught since they were little children about the Messiah who would come and who would put everything back together, starting in Jerusalem. 
so you've got to understand that when James and John heard Jesus talking about going to Jerusalem, I'm sure the only thing that went through their heads at that moment was the thought of Jesus overthrowing the Romans and ruling in Jerusalem as king. And so when James and John picture all of this in their head, what do they do? They go and ask Jesus to give them the most precious seats in the throne room. I want to confess to you all this morning that I'm a lot like James and John. Even though Jesus had told those disciples plainly he was going to Jerusalem to die, James and John can only picture Jerusalem as a place of glory, a place for their own glory. And I know I do things like that too from time to time. I know that Jesus has said, take up your cross and follow me, but I like how convenient my life is. I know that Jesus has said the first must be last, but I like the recognition that comes with being first. I know that Jesus said we must die to bear much fruit and that we must lose our life to gain it, but I really like how comfortable my life is these days. The truth is, just like James and John, throughout my life I put a lot of focus on glory. I've worried a lot about being recognized, getting awards, and having people see me as impressive and accomplished. I like the glory of it all. But I can't deny that chasing after glory is not at all what Jesus had in mind. Instead, Jesus says, whoever wishes to be first among you must be servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Serving others is what Jesus came to do. Humbly serving others is the main task of people who follow Jesus. And part of what Jesus' life shows us is that a life of service is frankly just a better way to live. Power and glory are so fleeting, but a life of humble service has a force to it that is so much bigger. Just look at what actually happened when Jesus went to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem, and he confronted the powerful, the most glorious, the most important kingdom in the world at that time. The Holy Roman Empire is something we still read about in history books for its extensive nature and power. And this empire, with all its rulers and emperors and big important people sitting on fancy thrones, this empire heard about a little Jewish rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth. And he was saying some things that they didn't like. So this big Roman Empire bribed one of Jesus' friends and tracked him down and had him wrongfully arrested and convicted and executed. The Holy Roman Empire used all of its power and all of its glory in the most corrupt ways in order to put a stop to the message of Jesus. But we know what happens next. All the glory of Rome, the full weight of the Holy Roman Empire, couldn't put a stop to the true power of Jesus, the servant king. Because on that first Easter morning, the message that the Romans didn't like, it became more powerful than ever when Jesus rose from the grave. The Holy Roman Empire tried to put a stop to the ways of Jesus, 
But here we are today, 2,000 years later, still preaching and practicing this very message they tried to destroy. The power of Jesus is stronger than kingdoms. The glory of Jesus is better than fame. The humble servant lifestyle of Jesus Christ is a way of life that is abundant and eternal in ways that we can never fully understand, but in ways that we cannot deny either. Jesus invites us to let go of our need for glory and power and might because Jesus knows that his humble way of service is better. Allow yourselves to stop worrying about whose house is the nicest, whose car is the best. Allow yourself to stop angling for the best seat or the best role or the best job. Allow yourself to stop fighting for awards and applause and recognition. And instead, relax. Take a humble back seat and spend your energy serving others. Because this is the way of Jesus. This is a way of life that's better for our souls and it's better for our world. And Jesus is inviting you this day to follow him in this new way of abundant living. Amen.